Three weeks ago, I uh, looked out at the second service and uh, noticed a couple who uh, we had not seen in years. Uh, they were uh, part of our church in Chicago, and uh, there they were, sitting in the pew here in, in uh, Texas, and uh, uh, afterwards, uh, met up with them and uh, found out they had been in Austin on business, or were going to be uh, in Austin on business, and decided since they were so close to Houston, they would rent a car and come uh, to our worship service here. And it was great to uh, reconnect with them. We were able to go out to lunch together, spend a little bit of time and catch up. And, and clearly, one of the things, having not seen uh, uh, this couple in uh, some years, is that uh, uh, both of us, uh, all four of us, had... Uh, our ages increase during that time, and our abilities decrease uh, during that time. Uh, uh, my friend and I, we played uh, full-court basketball every Thursday night for years, and he asked me, uh, I, I can't play basketball anymore, I can't jump anymore. Uh, he said, do you play? I said, I know, I, I, I play some tennis, I jump to conclusions, that's about all the jumping I can do. And so we had changed it. What was harder to determine is how had our godliness increased in the years that we've been apart? Uh, what was, were we spiritually more mature uh, than we were before? If you're a, a Christ follower, you want God's kingdom to be done, his, uh, his will to be done on, on earth as it is in heaven. You want his kingdom to come into your life into our world, and how does his kingdom increase in my life? How does his, in, his kingdom increase in your life, in our world? When does it grow? Well, as we continue our study of the gospel of Mark, Jesus tells several parables that speak to that. They're about increasing. These parables in Mark chapter 4 about increasing. Uh, and uh, by the way, a parable is a story with a hidden point. Jesus spoke all the time in parables. And, and when Mark chapter 4 uh, opens up, a crowd is swarming Jesus like a celebrity. Uh, and this mob is drawn to Jesus by the magnetism that he shares in his teaching and by his miracles. And they want to hear him speak. They want to be touched by him, healed by him. And, and Jesus' extreme popularity doesn't mean that everybody believed, by the way. Despite the huge crowds that were swarming him, few at that point were ready to hear the message and to place their trust in Jesus. But to this throng of pushing, pulling people, Jesus tells several parables. And each of these stories illustrates how and when God's kingdom increases. I want to ask that question, when does God's kingdom increase? When does God's kingdom grow in my life, in your life, in our world? Well, these parables speak to that. The first parable is the most familiar, and it's the one where I'm going to spend the most time, but, but uh, it's a very important one. Uh, and that, that tells us that God's kingdom grows when you receive his word, when you receive his word. This first story, very familiar, it's the sower and the seed. And Jesus describes how the farmer throws seed everywhere, covering every corner of his field in order to get the, the best harvest possible. The farmer would plow and scatter the seed and wait. And Jesus described four different places the seed ended up. The farmer scattered about. Some seed, he said, fell on the path where the ground is hardened by foot traffic and, and the seeds don't penetrate that soil. Some seeds fell on 
soil that looks fine on the surface, but underneath it was rocky. And some seeds fell on ground where thorns were also waiting to sprout up. But a portion of the scattered seed fell on good receptive soil. So even though the farmer broadcast seed everywhere, uh, about three-quarters of the seed thrown in this parable is a lost cause. The odds seem pretty poor. The seeds on the hard pan only become bird food, Jesus says. The seed on the rocky area starts out great, but it's unable to root, and the seedlings wither away. The seed with the thorns is choked out, but the seed on good soil is extremely productive, Now, in that day, a farmer would do well to get ten times what he planted. Uh, This crop is miraculous. Jesus says in this parable that it produces 30, 60, 100 times what was scattered initially. Well, he tells this parable in verse 10, the disciples wait until the crowd clears out, and they say, "Uh, Jesus, we know that this was some important stuff that you shared, but uh, we don't get it. So uh, could you help us out? By the way, the reality is, We will never understand the truth unless God reveals it to us. So one person can grasp the mystery, and the person next to them doesn't get it. Uh, And they don't know, and they don't want to know. They they don't get it and don't want to get it. Jesus goes on to talk about how truth is received. Only those with faith understand. And the disciples can't figure it out on their own, but they want to, so they ask. And Jesus gives the explanation. He says these four types of soil are four attitudes toward God's Word. And and I would say all of us are represented in this story. All of us are here at one place or another. And this explains why some people can hear the same truth and respond differently. There there are times I, I see people with Tears streaming down their face as as they hear from God. And right next to them, hearing the exact same thing, are people who look like they are in a coma or having a root canal. This explains where I I can go and share the gospel with with a group of people uh, in a house or with a family setting and, and have one person respond with joy to the message of the gospel and the others be threatening. Say, we don't want to hear that. Get out. No, or you're sitting there this morning and God's word might come powerfully to you, be convicting to you, and you think, I hope she's listening to this. And you sneak a look across the room to see if she's paying attention, or you give your husband an elbow to the ribs to make sure he's awake to hear how he needs to change. Or you recognize that this word about anger is exactly what Joe needs to hear, and then you realize that Joe isn't even here today, and you think, that jerk. Why is it that we can hear the same thing and not receive it or think it is for someone else? What keeps us from being transformed by God's word? Jesus tells us, You have one of these four responses to God's Word. The first response is unprepared. As Jesus explains, verse 15, some people are like seed along the path where the Word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the Word that was sown in them. Years ago, I was playing in a softball tournament, and uh, I was chewing a big wad of gum because I was looking like a big leaguer, you know. I was playing uh, first base, and uh, I think it was like the first batter hit a clean single up the middle. 
and uh, the runner got the first as the, the center fielder got the ball, threw it into a second baseman. And I was just looking at the runner. He was standing on the bag. And all of a sudden, I heard somebody yell, watch! And before the rest of it came out, I found out I was flat on my back on the infield. And uh, I, I, when I opened up my eyes, uh, there, the team was standing around me. And what had happened was that for some reason, our second baseman decided to hurl the ball at me from 10 feet away for no reason whatsoever. And it caught me right in the sternum and just knocked me right down. And, and I don't know how long before I opened my eyes and, 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 catch, and, and my concerned team was like, are you all right? I said, I swallowed my gum. <laughs> now, if you aren't ready for it, don't be surprised if you don't catch the word. If you're not ready, don't be surprised. You don't catch the word. Even though it's being thrown in your direction. If you're not ready, you're not going to catch it. You, if you're not ready to receive it, if you don't take it in, it will be lost. God's word is powerful, but it will not be its way into hard soil. If you're hard-hearted and don't receive it, the enemy is not going to leave that laying around either. So, so you know what, what you're not ready to catch, the evil one is going to snatch away so it doesn't have any chance of doing you any good at all. You may have been in church it may be a small group for years, and the seed of the Word of God is just bouncing off. You may have gone through every study Beth Moore has ever created. You may have done Bible memory verses, listened to the best preachers in the country on podcasts, but if you weren't prepared, truth is just pinging off your skull. Whatever does not penetrate, Satan keeps removing. You're unprepared when you're always on the go. You're unprepared when you're unwilling to exert the energy it takes to truly hear God. You're unprepared if you're tiredly familiar with truth. You say, oh, I've heard this before. There needs to be an attitude of expectancy when you come to worship. There needs to be an attitude of expectancy when you read God's Word. There needs to be an attitude of expectancy when you participate in a small group. And anyway, without that preparation, nothing sticks. Second response is superficial. Verse 16, others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Have you ever known someone to embrace the good news with joy at first? Someone who started out in the life of faith but didn't put down roots and remain mostly at the surface level? And when things get tough, those kinds of people fall away. They're scared off. Trusting in Jesus is fine when everything is running smoothly, but what about when there's stress or ridicule or peer pressure or catastrophe? If the word did not get deeply rooted in your life, you back away. You wilt. So maybe as a teen, you enjoy student ministry. Maybe you went on a mission trip and, and had a genuine encounter with God. And you're pumped up about Jesus. And one day some friends from school talk about hanging out together next Wednesday night. And, and, and you start to say, I, I can't Wednesday because I have 2.40. And then you just, before you stop yourself before you say something ridiculous like i got to go to my small group at church. Instead you say, no problem. And it's not a problem yet, but as you try to live out your faith and you act and you sound more like Jesus and they get on you about it, you feel stupid and conspicuous and it doesn't take long before you're not excited about Jesus anymore and you talk and think and do what everybody else is doing and the word has wilted. 
It's wilted under that pressure. Or maybe you're a, a, a responsible, church-going, when it's convenient, family man. Uh, you don't mess around on your wife. You've you got integrity. You're a hard worker. You gather to worship. Maybe you're part of a small group. Maybe you serve in some way. Years ago, you got baptized and, and publicly identified with Jesus, and that was an important step. But things have sort of evened out since then. And then one day the boss calls you in and says, hey, we have to cut back. I'm sorry, I'm going to have to let you go. And for the first time in your life, you're really scared. You're already living paycheck to paycheck, and unemployment isn't going to cover the bills. What's going to happen? I, you thought you had a deal with God. As long as you were a stand-up guy, God was going to be on your side. Isn't that how that works, you think? Before, you used to enjoy the happy songs that were singing at church and now those same songs make you mad. Before you used to think that prayer was a pretty good idea, that Bible teaching was helpful, but now they seem like a cruel waste of time. Pressure and problems and stress and trouble have put you to the test. And since there's not much rootedness, spiritual maturity, you fall away at the time you need God the most. A third response to God's word is preoccupied. Verse 18, still others like seeds sown among the thorns hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. So Jesus is very clear about the kinds of things that occupy us, barriers to receiving God's word. They are worry, wealth, and worldliness. So you and I are in a constant battle to keep those things from grabbing our attention, grabbing our passion, uh, taking priority in our lives. Worry. Worry is your anxieties, your fears can strangle God's Word in your life. That's why the, one reason why the Bible tells us to cast all your cares on Him because He cares for you. Uh, a number of years ago, a... Uh, a guy I knew pretty well came in and saw me on a Monday morning and, and uh, shared a problem that he and his family were going through. And, and for him, it was a very significant problem. And then he said this to me, John, I couldn't even focus in church yesterday because the stress of the situation was all I could think about. I did not hear a word you said. Now, that would, that, I could understand that, except that if I could have picked one message in that whole entire year that would most have addressed his problem, that would have been it. And he couldn't hear it because worry uh, was, was drowning it out. That's what worry does. Many of you are so preoccupied with your fears and anxieties and worries, you can't receive what God wants you to hear. Wealth is the other one. Uh, not just abundance, because you notice it says the deceitfulness of wealth. That word deceitful means seduction. It's about luring uh, and, and temptation. It's when you're lulled into putting your trust in material things or money. It's when you're lured into making money so important that it chokes out the word. And you can be absolutely poor and still be deceived by wealth. It's when your focus is on, I need more, I want more. How can I hold on to what I have? Money can preoccupy you. And then worldliness, I, I use that term to describe just the cravings uh, that we have in our lives in general where we have priorities and passions and, and, and pursuits and obligations and pleasures that can overwhelm the Word, can distract us and, and uh, preoccupy us until there's no place for the Word. So the voice of career, the voice of family, the voice of social media, the voice of politics, the voice of comfort or pleasure or achievement or love or success or problems or pornography or whatever it might be is louder than the voice of God. 
Then the fourth response is receptive. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, even 100 times what was sown. So the good soil is fertile. It's prepared to receive. Jesus says when you take in his word and allow it to penetrate, it has an incredible, unbelievable harvest that results in your life. See, a true disciple welcomes the word, and it brings amazing results. And by the way, the seed is certainly the good news about Jesus. It is putting your complete trust in Him and Him alone to deal with your sin by His death on the cross and by His resurrection from the grave. And once you receive that initial word and put your trust in Christ, you must take care not to become hardened, not to become indifferent to God's truth, because He's continually scattering the seed of His word. And if it finds a place to grow, the results are astounding when you're ready to receive it. God's word is miraculously productive. It's a question of reception. Uh, When we were living in Pennsylvania, I found that our stereo in the house, we sometimes would listen to a radio, and if you don't know what that is, I I won't take the time to explain. But uh, we we found we could only get mix 95.1. Now, that was a, a... a good station, the station manager is a, is a very good friend of mine, and he and his wife Lisa, Rick and Lisa, have a great morning program that, uh, number one in the tri-state area there, but no matter where I turn the dial, I either got mix 95.1 or static. And this puzzled me, because there were other stations I wanted to listen to. So I, I said to Rick, I said, you've got some kind of conspiracy going on here, I can't get anything on my radio except your station. I said, which I love. But, you know, what, what's going on? And he said, well, he says, I, we do have a very strong signal. We, we do that. He said, I have heard of others who have had this problem, and every time it's because they have a, a really, really cheap stereo. So, Thank you, Rick. So, so all those stations were still broadcasting. I just could not receive them. In this parable, Jesus tells us reception is everything. Reception is everything. You can go to church your whole life and never fully tune in to hear from God. You may catch snatches of information, a little music, but it's all lost in a lot of white noise or drowned out by stronger signals. And because you're unprepared to hear or only respond superficially or you're preoccupied with worry, wealth, or worldliness, you miss it. See, reception is everything because when you receive God's word, it will be incredibly productive in your life. So, in this first parable, Jesus tells us that God's kingdom grows when you receive his word. Now, before he became a well-known Christian author, Leroy Ames had an anger problem. As a new believer, he was learning how to live for God, and he's reading his Bible, and, and he became convicted by Colossians 3.8, which says, now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander. And Leroy had a violent temper. Uh, when something set him off, he would bash his fist into the nearest door. He says, I often bloodied my knuckles, and I once smashed a beautiful ring that my wife had given me, but I couldn't stop. And here's God's word saying to me, get rid of anger. And so Leroy decided to be receptive. First, he memorized Colossians 3.8, and he reviewed it every day. He asked God to bring 
that word to his mind whenever he was tempted to lose his temper. And next he asked his wife to pray for him and, and to remind him of that verse if she saw him failing. And Leroy says, over time, that verse became part of my life and the sin of anger lost its grip. That's how the word takes root. And God's kingdom increases in your life. A miracle of 30, 60, or 100 times greater than what you receive. A harvest beyond all expectation. When does God's word kingdom grow? When you receive his word. Second, God's kingdom grows when you reveal his word. When you reveal his word. Uh, Jesus said, verse 21, uh, do you bring a lamp in to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? Now, the lamp in Jesus' day was made of terracotta, had a handle, was filled with oil, had a spout with a wick. And of course, you didn't hide it. You didn't put a bucket over it because its whole purpose was to illuminate. And Mark uses a definite article here. It doesn't say a lamp. It says the lamp in the original language. And he uses a verb that's more fitting for a person than an object. And I believe that this lamp refers to Jesus, the light of the world, the living word of God. And he says, you don't hide that. You reveal it. Uh, Verse 24, consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And even more, whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Now, this is very important. Understand that the more you listen to Jesus, the more will be revealed. The more you grab onto truth now, the more you'll get. But if you don't let that word fill your life, if you don't live it out, even that will be taken away from you. You can't stand still. You're either going to be gaining or losing in the spiritual life. Listen to Jesus. Hear the message of the good news. And if you don't share it, if you don't pass it on, if you don't live it out, if you don't expose your life to the light of Christ, if you don't reveal Jesus to others, then you will lose what you have. And when I was a teenager, there there was something I wanted to do that was not the best choice for a follower of Christ. And it wasn't illegal, it wasn't immoral, it was just, I would say, inappropriate. Now my dad saw what I was fixing to do. And for the first time, he didn't tell me no. He asked, do you hear God saying anything to you about this? Is his voice speaking to you about this? And I said, yes. He's telling me not to do it. And my dad said, what are you going to do? And it sounded to me like he was giving me an option, so I was really honest. I said, I'm going to do it anyway. And Dad said, you can choose not to listen to the voice of God, and you can decide to disobey him. But if you do, your heart's going to get a little harder, and next time it's going to be easier to ignore his guidance, and your heart will get even harder, and eventually you will not hear God's voice anymore at all. I never forgot that. Now, some Christians think that the point of the Christian life is to be in Bible studies until they die. Doesn't that sound exciting? And then they wonder why as they grow older they get crankier. And they get less joyful and less spiritual and more critical and more judgmental. Even though they have all this Bible knowledge piled up in their lives. Why? Because unless you're living it out, unless you're sharing it with others, unless you're exposing the light of Jesus, unless you're revealing the word you receive, God's kingdom will not grow in you. It will shrink. 
what word you have will be taken away. But those who share that word, those who expose that word, will receive even more. When does God's kingdom grow? When you reveal his word. Then, finally, God's kingdom grows when you trust the power of his word. Jesus says the kingdom grows like a bunch of seeds you put in the dirt and then leave alone. Now, uh, several Easter's ago, I had a sermon called Seeds, and uh, I, what I wanted was to give everybody uh, at least one seed. So I, I, I didn't know, I knew that you know, there'd be at least 1,600, maybe 2,000 people here. How many seeds do you buy? So uh, I, I bought this like five-pound can of wheat seed. And then we put it in bowls, and the ushers passed the, these along to the congregations and all three services that day. And, uh, and I, t- I said, t- you know, take as many as you want. I think we have enough. And I don't know how many everybody took, but I, I came back. I could hardly tell that there were any gone, okay? So now I've got like a four and three-quarter pound jar of wheat seeds here. And it's like, all right, what do I do with this? Well, I put it on the shelf up in, in my garage, and uh, there it sat, a couple of years, past the expiry date that there is on there. And, and then one day my, my daughter just took a handful of these and put them in a planter in our backyard. And before you know it, we had wheat this tall. Now all that time it just sat in the garage. It didn't grow at all. And then miraculously, she just had to throw it in some dirt in the pot in the backyard. And boom. Amazing. But notice what Jesus says. This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. The farmer does his part. That's all he can do. He scatters, and then he waits. But no matter what time he goes to bed or what time he gets up in the morning, the growing process is out of his hands. He's done his part. Germination is not his part. That just happens. He doesn't even know how. He doesn't understand all the ins and outs of botanical powers, and he doesn't need to. He just does his part and then must wait and let the seed do what it does. And once it's scattered, the power in the seed brings about great things. And so it is with the kingdom. The power is in the word. You're not responsible for results. You just scatter God has never held his church responsible for results, but he holds us responsible to scatter. And and putting all these seeds on a shelf is never going to produce a harvest. They must be scattered. When they're scattered, even though it appears nothing's happening, no human intervention is needed, and something does happen. Do not put your confidence in methods or programs or materials. God's kingdom grows when your confidence is in the power of his word. Now, I've had people ask me through the years, why don't you give an altar call every Sunday? For those of you who don't know what an altar call is, that's just a response call at the end of the sermon to say, if you want to put your trust in Jesus or you want to get baptized or join the church, come forward and you come forward to the front. Christian churches should not have altars, but that's another discussion. Communion tables, not altars. But, see, why don't you do that every Sunday? You see, that, the, the idea of an altar call, that started in the 19th century. That's not a biblical concept. That's something Charles Finney started. 
Before him, it didn't really exist. And so it's a method. Nothing wrong with that method, but it's a method. Here's what's more important. That every time I do preach, I present the good news of Jesus. That's the most important thing because apart from that, what would anybody come forward for? What is anybody to receive? It's the good news of Jesus, and that word has power, and it will succeed. It is growing. You may not see evidence of it, but it will produce and do so without your help once you scatter. Right now, God does not batter down the gates of the enemy to set up his kingdom. He just invites his people to plant seeds. Growth and harvest are up to him. And that word, the good news, is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Now Jesus gives one more example uh, that makes the same point. And trusting the power of his word, and that's of the mustard seed. He says, hey, the kingdom is like a mustard seed, which is the tiniest of all the garden plants, the tiniest seed of all the garden plants. But then when it grows up, it's the greatest, it's the largest of all the plants in the garden. It gets to a a, a size of 10 to 15 feet high and big around. And Jesus says it's big enough for birds to nest in. And that's what the kingdom is like. Tiny little beginning will grow beyond all expectation. That would be true. Jesus would soon be executed by the government, leaving behind a handful of frightened followers. And yet within 40 years, the message of Christ would extend to every corner of the empire. And that growth continues to this day. The promise is that one day, people from every nation and tribe and and language will be in heaven together, and it will be a number so great that it cannot be humanly counted, all of them joining in praise to the Almighty God. And it may not appear like the gospel is advancing today. It may not appear like the church in America is is going forward. But Jesus declares that victory is certain, that harvest is on the horizon. And the day is coming when the name of Jesus will be above every name, and when every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. See, God's kingdom uh, grows when you receive the word, reveal the word, and trust the power of the word. And in this way, his kingdom will be increasing until the day when the kingdom kingdom of this world is consumed by the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Thanks be to God.